Well, hello and welcome to episode number 366 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, BA promo, their new TV ad, a woman gives birth to a baby on board a flight and nine-year-old goes on an airport tour using a baggage belt. And in the military news this week, uh, nine U.S. Marine Corps and eight Royal Air Force F-35Bs have embarked on HMS Queen Elizabeth. Egypt signs a contract with France to buy 30 Rafale fighter jets. And an Idaho Air National Guard A-10 repainted in P-47 Thunderbolt Heritage livery is seen. Joining me this week on the show, as always, over in the glorious sunshine here in sunny Suffolk <laughs> is Matt Smith. You've been at the glue again, haven't you? <laughs> well, it is sunny. sunny. It is sunny. Come on, we'll take it as we get it, you know, after all the weather we've had this week, the, the many seasons. Yeah, snow one minute and then hail and then like rain and wind. 50 mile an hour winds on Sunday night or something like that. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, it's that, lovely. that is a word, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> all, all good with you, Matt. All yes, good. yes, all good. Been a busy old Excellent. week, but yes, yes, all good. And also joining us this week. Uh, the man who makes the well makes everything perfect with cable management is of course Neville Bounds. Yes, hello, and yeah, what a week it's been! Very hectic, lots of driving in all sorts of weather conditions, and just going past Captain Al's house um, earlier this week, it chucked it down with snow, and then the sun came out again. So uh, very, very odd indeed. But uh, that's what happens at this time of the year sometimes. But uh, yep, yeah, all good. Thank you very much, and looking forward to a terrific show tonight. Yes, uh, we have no Armando this week, unfortunately, um, but uh, he has sent us some military stories in, so don't panic. Uh, we will be uh, having some stories from Armando later on in the show, but uh, he is busy doing some pretty intensive training, but hopefully we'll have him back on the show in a few weeks' time. So uh, if you're watching Armando, which I think he is uh, while he's at work, uh, we miss you and uh, hope to see you back on the show soon. But uh, this week uh, on the show, uh, we have a guest who we're going to introduce in just a moment. But first, we're going to say a quick hello to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. So quickly run through the names in there. Just a quick mention to Lee Davies. Uh, we've got Myla in there, Richard Adams. Uh, Captain Cruz is in there. Uh, Mazus Karim is in there as well. Hello to Lane Street. We obviously couldn't do a live show without Lane. Uh, Auntie Liz, hello to you, Liz, all the way across there in Canada. Uh, Dirk S is also there. Stephen Ivy, hello to you, Stephen. Haven't seen you for a few weeks in the, on the show, live chat room. Uh, we've got Masha is in there as well. Hello to you, Masha. Captain Nick from uh, the airline pilot guy show is also in there pilot pips in there tony s has joined us this week captain al has also just joined us in there rakon alex robinson hello to you as well and uh, armando is in there keeping an eye on us all so uh, <laughs> big hello to you all don't forget if you are listening to this show as an audio show don't forget to join us over on youtube subscribe to the show hit the subscribe button hit the bell icon which is right next door to be notified when we are live and recording new shows just like we are now and uh, we'd love to have you in the chat room with us on the show so welcome to everyone 
So this week's guest is the Vice President and General Manager of the Unmanned Aerial Systems and Urban Air Mobility Business Unit at Honeywell Aerospace. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome onto the show, Stefan Fima. Welcome onto the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So how were things uh, where you are, Stefan? Whereabouts are you in the world? Yeah, so um, I am located in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, in the United States. Um, I, I much enjoyed your, your early commentary on the weather where you are. I, I can tell you our weather is much more stable um, than, than what you just described. Uh, you know, boringly blue skies and searing sun. That's what I can say. Well, that's good to hear, Stefan. Honestly, it has been a rather interesting weather kind of system we've had here in the UK for the last uh, four or five days. But good to hear you've got good weather your side of the uh, globe anyway. Send some this way when you get a chance. So, uh, Stefan, uh, tell us a sort of bit of a background then as uh, to yourself. What do you do? So uh, currently I'm the uh, vice president and general manager of our um, unmanned aerial systems and urban air mobility business unit. You know, as you introduced me, um, I've been in this role for a little over a year now. Um, you know, prior to that, um, I joined Honeywell in 2017, and I was vice president of product management and marketing for one of our um, avionics divisions for general aviation. And uh, prior to that, my career has been split about 50-50 between uh, aerospace and software internet, and also about 50-50 between startups and private equity-backed companies, as well as, you know, big aerospace companies. So, Stefan, tell us a bit about urban air mobility. Then, what uh, for those of you know the listeners who might not might not know much about urban air mobility, tell tell us a bit about what that's all about. Yeah. So, urban air mobility, and what I'll do here is I'll sort of begin to sort of categorize the different you know parts of that. Um, what what most people hear about if they hear about anything is about the movement of people from point A to point B. But a little bit more broadly speaking, urban air mobility can include the movement of parcels or, or cargo as well. Um, in terms of urban air mobility, you know, the idea here is that, you know, a lot of people like to travel. Uh, a lot of times it's short distances. Maybe it's commuting back and forth to work or to some other location or it's other kinds of travel. And, uh, you know, with all of the traffic congestion that continues to increase, um, you know, people are looking for you know new ways to get from point A to point B and get there quickly and efficiently. Um, especially with you know urbanization of big metropolises, more and more people coming into cities, uh, that only exacerbates the problem. So the idea behind urban air mobility, in many ways, is to combine what is best about helicopters, the idea to be able to take off and land vertically right in the center of cities, together with you know the best of airplanes, the ability to fly you know, forward and cruise in the highly efficient way to take the best of both and combine them into aircraft that are highly reliable, very quiet, um, dare I say, very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Um, and that <laughs> make travel very, you know, very, very quick to go from, you know, point A to point B. So really that is what urban air mobility is all about. And you'll hear it referred to as, you know, urban air taxis, EV tolls, you know, a big, nice acronym. Uh, you'll hear some people even refer to it as the flying car, although technically it's not really that. <laughs> yeah, I think most a lot of people uh, sort of assume kind of the kind of the Jetsons kind of uh, theme, of, kind of around urban air mobility. But um, why do you th- uh, why do why are we hearing so much in the news at the moment, uh, Stefan, about urban air mobility? Because it is featured quite heavily in the news. 
Yeah, I think um, we're hearing a lot about it now, primarily because of a confluence of a few, of a few factors. Um, you know, one is that I, I think it began a few years ago when when Uber first sort of you know issued their white paper and started holding conferences, and the idea that a ride-hailing company was going to you know create this new aerial mode of transportation. Um, that's what sort of like sparked, I think, a lot of interest um, on the part of the general population. Then we started seeing um, aircraft designers, be they traditional aerospace companies or non-traditional companies or startups, that were coming out with these, you know, designs that were very different than what many people had seen. Um, and as I mentioned before, some of these were actually really, you know, really cool to look at. And so that brought a lot of, of, of additional interest. And then people started to fly prototypes and, and, and you started seeing that, wait a minute, this isn't just a fantasy this time around, this is actually real. Um, and then the third thing that happened is in the financial markets, um, there's been a huge boom um, in what are called blank check companies or SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies, which has brought you know, millions and millions or, or billions of dollars to these kinds of companies. And so now all of a sudden you've got the business and the financial community highly interested in this. And so, you know, with those three factors, I think that's really what's burgeoned into, you know, just a lot of, of, of awareness and interest in this area right now. So kind of tied in with, with that question, why do you think um, the urban air mobility uh, is important uh, for our future as a society? I think that um, every time we develop a new mode of transportation, we advance our civilization. Whether it was the plane, the train, the automobile, or, or anything else, um, every time we do that, we, we advance society. Every time we do that, we bring a new level of social services, a new level of capabilities, a new level of freedom to people. Um, and urban, uh, you know, urban air mobility does just that. Um, if you want to you know, live 100 miles away uh, from a destination you regularly like to go to, um, today, that's probably not really possible, um, but tomorrow it would be, right? If you want to go across town and you don't want to spend, you know, an hour and a half in traffic going from, you know, the west side to the east side, you know, tomorrow you'll be able to do it in 10 minutes. And, and people really want that. People want that convenience. They, they Nobody likes to waste time. And so, you know, the promise of, of being able to, you know, to not have to do that is, is really interesting. So creating this new industry, obviously, with the, you know, the urban air mobility, and the UAVs, um, what are the challenges of adapting current industry standards for a sector of aviation industry that hasn't really sort of become mainstream yet? Yeah, so the, um, you know, obviously, the, you know, one of the big challenges is, you know, you know, how do you certify these vehicles are safe to fly, right? Um, you know, are they helicopters? Are they airplanes? Are they something new? And so what's come around so far is that, you know, some of the, you know, the leading uh, regulatory agencies have come around to, you know, a new set of regulations or a, a you know, a, a special set of, of regulations that will apply to these vehicles. And um, th there's been a lot of progress on that front, which is, you know, which is very, very good. You know, aircraft designers need that in order to actually get to market. And so I think now the, the I would, let me call it the remaining challenge is to harmonize um, the different uh, regulation or regulatory philosophies, you know, whether it's from the FAA or EASA or, uh, or, or now the, the Civil Aviation Authority of, of the UK, um, and to harmonize that so that these new aircraft designs can have access to you know, global markets uh, and people who can, who can benefit from their vehicles. You know, no one wants to make a vehicle that is only flyable in the United States or only flyable um, in Europe. 
And so the harmonization, I think, is the next thing that, that that's on the agenda to get to get done. Nev. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, uh, Stefan. So from Honeywell's point of view, um, in terms of things like avionics and, and, and that kind of stuff, what, what sort of innovations are Honeywell bringing to the table to make uh, UAV and UAM transport possible? Yeah, so on the, um, on the I'll use the word the electronics side of things or, on, or I'll use the word avionics in the broadest sense of the word. Um, there's a number of things that we are doing, starting with the what we call a vehicle management system uh, in this segment, but you might know it as a flight deck or the displays in, in conventional aircraft. Um, the, there's a couple things we're doing there. So the, you know, these vehicles, especially the ones that will carry passengers, um, they will begin as piloted vehicles. Uh, for, the, for the vision to become a reality, though, uh, we're going to have to have hundreds and thousands of these vehicles flying. And that means hundreds and thousands of new pilots quickly. In order to ramp up the pilot population that quickly, um, it, it cannot be so difficult and, and lengthy to learn how to operate one of these vehicles. You need to simplify um, you know, what it means to operate one of these things or, or what we call simplified vehicle operations. And one of the big elements of simplified vehicle operations is the user interface that you see on the display. Is it simple to understand? Is it intuitive? Do or is it cryptic and complex? And you, you know, I have to remind myself every year in recurrent training what each of those buttons does because they're so obtuse. Making things simple, intuitive. You know, your flight plan looks more like the driving directions on your smartphone uh, than today's traditional flight plans. Um, you know, airspeed, altitude, and all those things are, are simple readouts like you might see in your automobile dashboard. So you don't have to be trained on how to read these things. Um, so completely reimagining the user interface in the cockpit of these vehicles is one of the first things that we're doing. That particular um, effort we're putting in pays off twofold. The first way is in the way I just described. It makes it easier for people to learn how to fly. It also makes it more familiar to passengers who may be unfamiliar with these vehicles who look in the cockpit and say, you know, actually, that's kind of recognizable. So I, I think I understand what's going on in this vehicle. I feel a little safer and I trust a little bit more because of that. But the other thing that it does is it lays down the pathway to future autonomous vehicles. In order to have simplified vehicle interfaces like what we're building, you must under the hood automate a lot of the things that today pilots do manually. As you automate those things, you're increasing the level of automation or of autonomy in the vehicle. And, and so you, you, you progress down the road until you get to the point someday in the future where you'll have a fully autonomous vehicle. So that's one thing we're doing on the, um, on the, on the cockpit side of things. Another thing that we're doing is in the area of flight controls or what we call fly-by-wire systems. Um, most of the aircraft that the general population would be familiar with, um, you know, if it's small aircraft, you know, all of the control surfaces, the ailerons and the rudder and all that on the vehicle are controlled by levers, pulleys, and cables. Um, in airliners, they're typically controlled by hydraulic systems that, that, that do the same kind of a job. In these kinds of vehicles, neither of those things are going to work. If you have eight, you know, eight propellers and five surfaces, you're not going to have you know, pulleys and levers across all of them. And there's no way that a pilot on his own with two hands is going to be able to individually manipulate you know, eight thrust vectors and, and everything else. And so what you need is a computer um, coupled with electric servos 
where the pilot says, you know, points the direction, says go here, and then the computer figures out what happens, in, you know, with all the systems on the vehicle, which way the you know the propellers should point in order to make the vehicle do what the pilot says. And so a fly-by-wire system, uh, and one that is very small and light and compact, is is the second area that we're really focused on in this area. In this in this area. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Now, the other thing I was going to ask you, Stefan, of course, is public acceptance of this kind of transport. I can't think of uh, any other means of transport that is going to change our lives so much uh, as, as this sort of thing would be. What do you think that's going to look like uh, in, the, in the future in terms of how the public are going to accept uh, th this kind of transport? I think... Um... I think there could be several scenarios that that happen. Maybe I'll lay out a, a couple possible scenarios. Uh, Once I, I think under any scenario, you're going to have those people that you know we might call early adopters. You know, early adopters of this new form of transportation, either because they're technophiles and they just you know they love the whole idea of it, or because their need is so strong that they're driven to it, you know, regardless of whether or not they're technophile. And so I think you'll start with people that are just, you know, the early adopters. And then as others see that, hey, this actually works, it's safe, it's convenient, so on and so forth, then you'll begin to get that S-curve of adoption. I think the way it may start, and I think this depends on the city, in some cities or locations, I think it may start with services out of existing heliports and um, airports. So maybe it's airport transfers, right? From downtown heliport out to Heathrow, right, or to uh, to an airport. So it'll start with that. You know, just connecting up existing heliports and general aviation airports and near major areas um, would would be the first thing that would happen. And then as that begins to saturate, you know, there's not enough space, not enough capacity. Then you start building out new vertiports, as they're called, to provide more and more capacity closer to where the people are. And so it grows organically and incrementally. I think that's one possibility. Um, another possibility is that you'll see some places that say, you know what, we the city or we the, the region, we want to do something infrastructure wise and we're going to have a number of vertiports built and just lay in a whole new set of infrastructure to create the service citywide immediately. Um, so I see that as an alternative that could also happen. Um, each of these could happen within the next you know, three to five years. So, um, Stefan, obviously, one of the things we talk about on the show quite a lot and a lot of the stories that we cover um, on the show are all to do with kind of the green, you know, being everything being environmentally friendly and obviously with engines getting cleaner and, and you know, a lot of the propulsion systems being made to be a lot more efficient, a lot more greener, it says. But uh, what, what is Honeywell's involvement with creating the, the kind of next generation propulsion system for, the, for these um, unmanned vehicles, possibly um, sort of the existing engines, the HTS 900, the hybrid electric? You know, is there, is there, is there somewhere else that this is going to go in the future with, in regards to propulsion? Yeah, so we're actually doing a number of things on that front. Um, first, we are developing the actual electric propulsion system, the motor, right? The motor and the controller, everything that goes into that. So providing that electric uh, propulsion system is one of the first things we're doing. And that's, that's really targeted towards, you know, the urban air taxi vehicles, the cargo UAVs, you know, the larger ones. Uh, the second thing that we're doing is we are um, focusing on some of the alternative energy sources in order to power those motors. Okay, so one area we are working on, as, as you mentioned, is, um, you know, turbo generated electricity. 
or marrying up some of our turbine technology together with a generator in order to generate electricity to power the electric propulsion systems. So that is one of the first things that we're doing. Second thing that we are doing is we're active in the research and development of hydrogen fuel cells. And uh, now that for now is more to do with smaller uh, drones, maybe for delivering small parcels, but that technology natively, that technology is scalable from small to large and we're interested in all, in all sizes of it. So, so that's the second thing that we're doing. And then the third thing that we're doing here is just in, you know, what powers the turbine, even in a hybrid electric configuration is still fuel and moving towards sustainable fuels, green fuels um, that generate a lot less pollution and, um, you know, and other kinds of exhaust that you don't want in the atmosphere. So when kind of the time scale um, can we expect possibly for, to, to see these, you know, hitting the, um, hitting the market? I think it's uh, the 2023 or the 2025 timeframe, you know, and I think the, like the, the, I mean, the very first vehicles, if you're, if you're fortunate enough, you'll see some prototypes flying in, in some flight tests. Um, otherwise, in terms of real commercial operations, um, I think that's the, you know, you'll first see that in 23, 25, um, and then you'll see progressively more in the second half of the decade. Um, I think um, by 2030, um, this will be a thing that is, I won't say it's normal, but I'll say that it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's on its way towards that. So looking at that obviously all important thing for the, the customer as such or the consumer, the cost and stuff. So looking at the kind of roughly where the kind of price scales will be for the average sort of kind of Joe or, you know, who wants to buy something to, as you said, you know, go from at point A to point B or from work to his home kind of is is this do you think this will be an affordable system for for anyone to be able to to use i think it i think it will be um i think in the very beginning like like you know all new technologies um they they oftentimes start out a little pricier um and they, they start that way but then very very quickly um you know prices begin to come down and then they continue coming down. And, and obviously there's sort of an S curve in the other way where at first prices come down a little bit, then they begin to come down more, then all of a sudden they come down a lot. And then eventually it, it becomes a, a price that almost everybody can afford. And um, the, the industry has the incentive to do that because the more people are flying on these vehicles, the more vehicles they make, the more vehicles they make, you know, the better the financial performance of the aircraft designers, the better the financial performance of the airlines that run these things. Um, so everybody, so you marry up the financial incentive with the social desire to have this be, you know, something that is ubiquitous for, for all the population. And, you know, those incentives are both aligned. So I think you get there. And looking at kind of the, the whole user interface with the systems, when these are finally put together and, and made into a vehicle that, that someone can, can pilot or fly as a such of a, as a as a pilot or unmanned, but as a pilot per se. Per se. Um, how is Honeywell kind of putting together a, a system that can be easy learnt by kind of anyone? Because obviously we all, you know, a lot of people who have learned to fly and got a pilot's license. It's quite a big, you know, long you know kind of trek to to gain your license. Is Honeywell going to kind of have these systems made so it's going to be very easy to learn? Yes. So um, that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, and it's really, there, there are two ways that we're doing that. Uh, one, way of, one way I've already spoken about, which is just make the instrument panel simpler, right? 
Um, if you, you know, if you use plain English instead of acronyms, if you simplify the amount of, you know, knobs and controls and everything else that you have to, you know, monitor, use, you know, you reduce the number of things you have to monitor to make sure that, you know, the aircraft is okay. Just that alone is the first piece. Then the second piece, and this refers back to the fly-by-wire technology, uh, when you use fly-by-wire technology, it's not just another way of controlling the flaps and the ailerons and which way the motors point. Now you can actually actively control the flight uh, behavior of the aircraft, right? So, you know, many of us are familiar with, you know, flight envelope protection systems, right? And though, you know, in uh, uh, flight envelope protection in an autopilot basically says, you know, you as the pilot can do anything you do today, but if you exceed certain limits in terms of bank or pitch, um, then the, the system is going to kind of nudge you back into a safe zone. So it's basically a, you know, it's inactive until something is at a limit and then it activates. With a fly-by-wire system and the software that goes in it, you can write the control laws and you can take it the other way, which is it's always on. It's always actively, you know, managing the, your vehicle state. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, you can never really do anything wrong with the vehicle. So for example, if you're in one of these vehicles and you just let go of the controls, the vehicle on its own will automatically return back to straight and level actively. It'll just do it. If you, um, you know, you won't even have any rudder pedals. You're just going to have a control stick, left, right, up, down, and a throttle that controls speed, not, not, not just power, right? And so go up, pull back, go down, push down on the stick, go left, go left, push this stick to the left way too much. After 20 degrees of bank, the flight control system says, yeah, that's enough. And it, it doesn't let you go beyond that. Try and do something um, that is, you know, that is that is quite risky. Say, so, you know, see, obviously, you want to, you know, turn this vehicle upside down. System won't let you. Um, and so you have both an active flight control and you have the guardrails around it. So now you have a vehicle that is simple to understand what you know how how to control, that is simple to actually control, and won't let you do anything bad. I look forward to this. I tell you, I hope this all does come over in the next few years. So at least I can uh, have a go before I, I think it's absolutely re reach 50, 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stefan, a bit about, uh, be nice to hear a bit about yourself, I might ask. You know, where did um, where did the whole aviation kind of interest start with you? Uh, with me. So I guess it, it's funny in retrospect, I can, I, I can trace it more clearly than I think when I was, you know, going through the years of my life. But uh, when I was a young kid, I was, um, you know, I was drawing airplanes on paper. I was drawing rockets. Um, you know, once I was sitting in an English class in like second grade and, you know, I got caught by the teacher because instead of having, you know, I had my English book open, but inside of it, I had a rocket book open too. So I could look <laughs> at that and, <laughs> And uh, I think in retrospect, that was the, um, that was the, the sort of the first sign. Um, and then, uh, you know, went to engineering school, studied aerospace, um, uh, then took what seemed at the time to be a detour into the business world. Um, took my first, um, my, my first flight as a, you know, as a pilot, you know, pilot lesson, as a student pilot in, in college. Uh, didn't have the money to follow it up. <laughs> so, you know, it was just that. And then many years later, in my early to mid thirties, I was living in, uh, in New York city and, you know, life was going well and things were good, but somehow, I don't know, things were just, I need a little bit more action in my life. And, um, I saw this movie called the Thomas crown affair, um, that had this gliding scene in it, uh, with, you know, one of these, you know, beautiful STEMI gliders. 
And the minute I saw that, I said, I'm going to go do that. And so I became a glider pilot about a year and a half later. Um, and then I became a power pilot after that. Um, and that's really what sort of reinserted me into um, all, everything aviation. Um, and as I was getting my power pilot's license, and I'd spent a lot of time in, you know, at that point in the software industry and, and things like this, I'm, I'm looking at the instrument panel, I'm saying, this is nuts. I mean, we would never do this in the software world. Like this is too cryptic, too complicated, blah, 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 blah. And, and that was like back in 2000, already I had the ideas in my brain of there's gotta be a different way. It's gotta be more simple. It doesn't have to be so complicated. And fast forward 19 years later, and I'm doing exactly that, um, you know, in the urban air mobility field. Yeah. How did that come about, uh, Stefan? How, how did you progress and, and, and move into to urban air mobility? So um, the back in 2000 and um, 2011 or so, 2010, I was um, I, I was in the software industry at the time and I had a, a real inkling to uh, you know, I was already getting lots of ideas and everything around, you know, aerospace and startup ideas. And, you know, I eventually came to a startup concept of my own about really simplifying the cockpit for light sport aircraft. And as a way to get people into, uh, into flying uh, by really radically simplifying the cockpit. And, and so for, th for three or four years, I had a startup that was focused on, on avionics of that kind, you know, novel interfaces, AI, things like this. Um, Fast forward a few years later, um, the, the startup only went so far, um, and I was recruited by um, Honeywell to join as, as head of marketing for one of their avionics divisions. Uh, and so I was there for two or three years. Um, and then Honeywell decided that, you know what, we've been, we've been doing a fair amount in this field um, since 2017, uh, but it's been sort of like you know, technology centers in different parts of the aerospace business. And it's, it's time to formalize this as a, it's, its own business. Right. And so, you know, opportunity met me and um, I became the, the general manager of, of the business. And that's how it happened. Wow. What, what would you say, Stefan, we start to wrap up, but what would you say that is your what's your favorite part of your job, would you say? Um, so the so first and foremost, I would say is, I mean, I just love this. Like, I love this, you know, what we're doing, what I'm doing just an underlying fundamental love of, of what we're doing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, this is making a difference, right? This is going to make a difference, right? We're going to, you know, make people more free to move around. We're going to deliver, you know, organs and tissues more quickly. We're going to take people that need to go to the hospital real quickly. We're going to take them there even faster. You know, I, I can keep going on the number of ways that this is, this matters. And so for me, if you, if you love what you're doing and it matters, that's the bedrock. Um, and then beyond that, the, um, the innovation, you know, the innovation that we're bringing here. I mean, this is, this is one segment <clears throat> where you get to ask all the questions. You get to throw out all the assumptions and, you know, you don't throw away all the, everything you've learned over the last 50 years, you know, in aerospace, but you get to ask, ask a, a whole number of new questions, um, innovate. Um, so that's the next thing. And then lastly, I would just say, you know, when you run a business, you have a huge amount of scope. You know, it's not just sales, it's not just engineering. It's not just marketing. It's, it's all of it. And, and that is intensely interesting as well. Now we're going to wrap up Stefan, but we have one very important question to ask. And we ask all our, uh, 
guests we have on the show this question it's a kind of put you on the spot question as to uh kind of what your favorite bits are but um given the chance to fly pilot any aircraft either retired or still in service military commercial ga and we'll give you the choice of two just in case because a lot of people do have two but what would be uh that aircraft what you you could you'd love to just run out to now jump in and take for a flight Ooh, you know um i'd have to have a lot of guts to actually do it <laughs> but the one that comes to mind right now is spaceship one well, we haven't had that one before yeah very good spaceship there. <laughs> it is a um it's a because i mean it's just the whole concept, right? You, you take off and, you know, suspend under another airplane, you fly like an airplane, then you get dropped like a bit of a missile and the rocket powers up and then you go straight up into, into suborbital space. And you, um, and, and so you do that bit. And so you're, you're basically a spacecraft for a while and then you come back down as a glider, right? And so it, essentially you've done three or four forms of flight in one aircraft. That's incredible. I love that. That's a great answer. <laughs> well, Stefan, it's been Absolutely fantastic to have you on the show, and uh, I want to say a big thanks uh, to you and Honeywell for uh, for allowing you to come on and uh, chat with us this evening on the show. It is fascinating stuff, I will say, and um, yeah, looking forward to uh, to definitely having uh, a better way of travelling around the UK. Um, as uh, you probably will know, our roads are not the greatest roads in the world. <laughs> <laughs> A slight understatement. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, no, thank you very much, Stefan, for coming on. And uh, on behalf of all the team, big thank you. And uh, and all the best for the future in uh, in what you do. Thank you. Okay, take care. Take care. Welcome to another Plain Truth, and this week we're going to be talking about insurance. Joining me, as always, is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Yes, I'm not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. Uh, now, this is going to sound like a very daft question, but do pilots require insurance? As in sort of third-party fire and theft or fully comprehensive, <laughs> yes. Yes, quite. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's a, it's a really good question. So there are a couple of different aspects that we'll look at in this chat. So we'll go for the obvious one first. Are pilots required to have some form of insurance if they dent the aeroplane? Well, yeah, that's a difficult one because most airlines will effectively have insurance for their aircraft and won't hold the pilots responsible because quite clearly unless you've acted negligently um, then you know accidents will happen and you can't really expect it to come out of your pay packet especially as airplanes tend to be uh, more expensive than the average pay packet certainly at the moment in the midst of the pandemic with everybody on reduced salaries well quite yes <laughs> if any salary at all yeah. so what some pilots will do however is they will take out a policy just like a sort of professional indemnity policy uh, just as a sort of belt and braces in case um, anything happens and the pilots who tend to do that are ones who are in the contracting field or maybe those who are instructing as a sec second business or second income. So it's in case, say, for example, someone under your duty of care 
trips over and falls and they hold you responsible or indeed there will be an element of professional responsibility if you're instructing that someone doesn't come back to you in a year's time and say look that technique that you taught me well I've just killed a load of people using it so there's that sort of professional indemnity yeah the the more familiar to pilots insurance policy will be one with regards to income protection so some form of insurance policy if you get made redundant, uh, which seems to happen rather uh, too often at the moment. And also one that most pilots hold uh, in sort of high esteem because it's a a precarious profession, and that is one of insuring against the loss of your medical. Because as a professional pilot, if you lose your medical, then unfortunately you can't fly in a professional capacity. And most airlines after a period of time will say, well, look, I'm really sorry, but we employed you as a pilot with a medical um, and, you know, we can't continue to pay you your salary whilst you can't fly for us. The more established airlines will have a, a period of time where they will pay you full salary and then it reduces down. But basically, if you've got some rather unfortunate uh, medical issue that means that your medical is going to be suspended for a long period of time or indeed it's just taken away never to come back Um, then you've got to look at some means of giving you a payout to make up for the fact that you're not going to be a pilot anymore uh, earning a reasonable income so those are uh, typically the sort of uh, insurance policies that most pilots will have so uh, in in terms of the medical is there um I mean, I'm assuming there must be certain clauses and stuff in there in the fact that you have a responsibility almost to sort of do your very best to stay, you know, in reasonable health. Yeah, well, to maintain your medical, that kind of um, comes as part and parcel of it. So uh, under AR, so once you uh, start to go above a body mass index of 30, um, which puts you into the obese category, then your medical examiner will start to speak to you about that and uh, he will agree a pathway for you to reduce your BMI. So yes, there is a uh, a fair amount of uh, self-regulation, self-control. Similarly with your declared smoking or uh, alcohol intake, there are sort of limits that if you start to exceed, then um, the examiner is going to talk to you about it. And they're not in the habit of just taking your medical away from you willy-nilly, um, but obviously they, they have a duty of care to the general public to ensure that you are medically fit to go about your job. Wow, okay. So from a commercial perspective, obviously that's that's that side of things, but what about from a private pilot, um, you know, with the GA flying and things like that? I mean, what, what's required there? Okay, typically most GA pilots don't have personal insurance with regards to the aircraft or third parties. Um, Obviously, that will be a consideration for their own personal life insurance. They'll have to let the insurer know uh, because under some insurers, underwriters, they perceive it to be uh, sort of like a high risk uh, hobby, not at the same sort of level of risk as being a skydiver or something like that, uh, but they may place a, a small loading on it. But typically, Um, the individual person won't have any form of insurance but the aircraft will um, so it will be insured and part of that premium will be a third-party liability so say for example you're flying your GA airplane it has an engine failure and you have the misfortune to crash into someone's house then the uh, aircraft insurance will cover that third-party 
liability aspect. Now, for those who don't own their air, own aircraft or are in a group share, if you're a member of a flying club, typically part of your sort of monthly or annual subscription will go towards a group insurance policy, a club insurance for that third party element. Uh, I mean, uh, as always, a great subject. Thanks very much, Captain Al. You're most welcome. I do love those series, honestly, man. <laughs> Good. You, well, you, you and Al do an awesome job, I will say. I yeah, will and that say. one was hot off the presses, actually, because we recorded that one last night. Really? Yeah, yeah. That you was, never know. Yeah, I know. Literally. I, you I've, never know. I've even changed my shirt. That's how posh I, I was. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, can I? May I ask? Is there um, some more pearls of wisdom coming from uh, you and Al soon? Of course. Of course. Good. Absolutely. Good. I like yeah, that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well done. So stay tuned, exactly, <laughs> says John in my ear. Yes, uh, so okay. we are going to carry on with the show then with some commercial news. So uh, if you're ready, Matt, push the button. Button pushed. And we start off the first story in the commercial news this week uh, with the headline travel rules and high prices so uh, many of us are probably very aware that there might have been a small announcement made by the UK government uh, earlier this evening and uh, let's just uh, cover some of the details shall we so we'll start with the story that ran oh this is sorry we'll start with the story that ran yesterday from the independent from Simon Calder on the eve of the government's announcement announcement of green list countries airfares to some destinations predicted to be in the uh, quarantine free zone are soaring so with portugal widely expected to be one of the very few accessible nations in the low risk category uh, the lowest british airways fare from london heathrow to faro on uh, the 17th of may is 530 pounds one way British Airways has two mm. flights to Portugal uh, to the Portugal Algarve on that date. The lowest fare on both is £530 one way at the time of writing said article. In comparison, a ticket on the Seoul BA flight from London to New York that day, returning a week later, is £517, uh, and that's covering a distance seven times further. Uh, British Airways ticket price means a, a return from Heathrow to Faro, departing on the 17th and returning three days later is £57 less than the one-way trip uh, than the one-way trip at just £473. A British Airways spokesperson said that uh, in the airline industry the price of the tickets rise as the lowest fares sell out. Our customers are also booking with confidence, safe in the knowledge that their plans that if their plans change they can move their flight dates or ask for a voucher for future travel uh, for a comparison uh, the evening BA flight returning from Faro back to Heathrow on the 17th of May is just 60 euros or 52 pounds uh, it's not just BA though Ryanair and EasyJet have similarly hiked prices uh, predicted uh, to uh, green destinations from the 17th the rest of this comes hot off the presses courtesy of the BBC so today the British government has announced that from the 17th of May people in England will be allowed to tra to take holidays yeah. abroad uh, with a small number of countries. Okay, so Portugal and Israel are among the countries on the government's green list, which tourists will be able to visit without having to quarantine 
on their return. So what's been announced, countries will be sorted into three categories, green list, amber list and red list. The country, uh, green countries have the fewest number of rules. Uh, this will be determined by the number of COVID-19 cases in each country and the success of their vaccine rollout. So which countries are holidaymakers allowed to visit? Brace yourselves. There's only a small number of countries and territories on the green list so far. And these are Portugal, uh, Israel, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, Brunei, Iceland, Gibraltar, the Falkland Islands, the Faroe Islands, South Georgia and the Sandwich Islands. I didn't know there was an island called Sandwich. That's very exciting. Mm, nice uh, St. Helena, uh, Trist Tristan de, de Cuna. Cuna. Sorry. And then uh, Ascension Island. So the list will be reviewed every three weeks and countries will be added or removed at short notice. Uh, so what are the rules for visiting a green list country? So travellers will need to take a private COVID test in their holiday destination before returning. This can be a lateral flow test or a PCR test. You have to fill in a passenger locator form uh, online before leaving their destination. And you need to take a private PCR test on or before day two of their arrival in England. No need to quarantine on return or take additional tests unless the post-arrival the post, uh, uh, the post arrival test is positive. The cost of a private PCR test varies between suppliers, but the Transport Secretary said he hoped prices would come down to less than £50 per person. Uh, TUI Group is offering test packages uh, from between £20 and £90. Uh, there'll be a green watch list to give people advance notice of countries about the move to amber or red so i guess this isn't really a huge surprise is it really i mean i suppose you know given what we've been through of late it was always inevitable that the the, the green list it was going to be smaller i must admit one of the countries i'm very surprised to see not on that list is ireland mm, really well oh, yeah. I, i'm i'm just devastated personally yeah because it hasn't got malta on the list that's because the only malta's reason. not on there and <laughs> right, I, I shall okay. be contacting the british government right and telling okay. them my yeah. disgust okay. yeah good, good luck um, with that uh, <laughs> but actually yes. in all seriousness uh, going back to the the bit before that about the prices and stuff yeah. one of the things that i hope the airlines and stuff don't make the mistake of of going silly with prices because you're going to get to that stage where even though some of us have or some people in the in the uh, country or as such in the uk here have have been on furlough or not been working and not been have being able to go out and spend money and buy things and this that and the other but even so you know we're not all millionaires no, and no. um for airlines i know obviously airlines have lost a phenomenal amount of money over yeah. the last 12, um, 15, 16 months, whatever. But, I, but, I mean, and I, and I know you're desperate to get out to Malta and all that kind of thing. Oh, but, yes. But all jokes aside, though, do you not think it's a rather bold slash brave move by someone to book a holiday for the 17th of May? Yeah, I think, uh, well, as you know, Matt, we, you know, we're, we're hopefully due to, to fly out me and yeah. Dave over to Malta for the air show in September. That's in September. Yeah, so it's, it's a way away, yeah. It's a way away, yeah. Do I think we'll go... I'm, I'm at the moment. I'm about eighty yeah. percent confident that it certainly we'll, looks good at the moment. Go. It does look would good I, at the moment. Would I book a holiday to go to a foreign country in June or July or even August this year? No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother. 
no i mean again it's like one of those if you were going for a specific reason i say like you were never obviously in uh planning to hopefully grab us some excellent content from the malta air show oh, yes. um then obviously i sort of get that or if you've got a reason to travel somewhere mm. you know if you're going for an event or something then then even i would you know sort of do it but i must admit in terms of trying to plan a holiday i i, I think i'd be inclined to wait until the dust has settled a bit on this whole lifting yeah. of restrictions but perhaps i perhaps i'm being overly cautious perhaps i'm part of the problem i don't know yeah, I just hope they don't, you know, outprice themselves so yeah. people can't enjoy, um, yeah. you know, their well earned holiday. Yes, yeah. indeed. So, moving on to the next exciting story. So, this one comes to us from many sources Bedford Independent, uh, The Aviation Today, and ZeroAvia.com. So, ZeroAvia test aircraft for hydrogen propulsion. Yes, I said hydrogen. Uh, damaged in off airport landing. So, a hydrogen powered plane hailed as the world's first hydrogen fuel cell powered commercial air grade aircraft has crashed just outside Cranfield airport so zero avia's piper m class six seater turboprop r&d aircraft made an emergency landing just outside the airport perimeter fence uh, during a uh, in a perimeter field i say during a routine pattern test flight no one was hurt which is obviously the good part of the story uh, but a spokesperson for zero avia said the incident was immediately reported to the air accident investigation branch and more news on those later on by the way oh. and uh <laughs> The uh, yes, and the fire service attended on the ground, which is a standard procedure. So the aircraft landed on its wheels, but the wing was damaged as it came to a halt at low speeds on uneven terrain, they added. The aircraft uh, has been removed now um, from the field, and Zero Avia will begin investigating the crash and analysing data to find out what had happened. The aircraft is part of the UK government's High Flyer project, which Zero Avia is working together with European Marine Aid, uh, Energy Centre and Intelligent energy to research low carbon power for aircraft the aircraft first flew a successful test flight in september 2020 completing a taxi takeoff and full pattern circuit and landing in a press release the company stated the flight performed to the approved test route over the airports uh, the structural integrity of zero avia systems was maintained throughout the incident sequence and there were no unintended hydrogen or electrical releases and no fire after the landing so the crew were able to safeguard the battery and the safe release hydrogen from the onboard tanks following zero avia safety protocol no leaks or fluid leaks were observed at the time and full data logs were preserved and will be used in the investigation this incident and the ensuing investigation will undoubtedly disrupt the six-seat high-flyer demonstration program that was coming to an end in the following weeks. However, they said that we do not expect any other negative impact on our commercial intent high-flyer 2 program, targeting the 10 to 20-seat aircraft, or our large engine development program targeting 50 to 60 or 50-plus 50 seat uh, aircraft. It's a shame when the, the things like this happen because obviously you know you have to ask yourself what did happen here i'm sure they'll find yeah. out what happened here but 
it kind of suggests that they're testing this new propulsion system as such. <laughs> but it's going to be a, you know, something something happened with the engine there. Yes, I, although Alex Robinson has offered a possible uh, suggestion as to only has what one happened. wing. Yeah, very true. I mean, good Alex. point, isn't it? Yeah, there is actually only yeah. one wing. Um, but uh, I mean, this is a concern, though, isn't it? Because I mean, presumably, it's taken you know, it's taken a long time to get to this point, hasn't it? Mm. And this will inevitably cause. You know, significant setbacks, obviously, on on the on the mission, won't it? I mean, that and it, it's it's sad in a lot of ways, obviously, because um, you know I, I do feel we need to sort of concentrate more on the projects like this to get uh, you know sort of you know a more a more greener, efficient, well, a, a, efficient, a green a greener way of uh, yes. of doing this. But uh, well, there we go. Uh, we'll move on to the next story now, and the headline is with Halo by Directional Eyes Urban Air Mobility Ops. Say that after a pint of scotch. I'm not going to. Uh, so Directional Aviation's One Sky flight has acquired UK-based Halo Aviation, uh, adding another helicopter operation to its portfolio just months after buying New York City-based uh, Sikorsky S-76 Operator Associated Aircraft Group. Uh, Halo has a fleet of six Leonardo helicopters, AW-109s and AW-169s that it flies from bases near London, the Midlands and the Channel Islands. Uh, Kenneth Ricky, who is the directional aviation principal, said that the addition of Halo advances three important strategic goals. First, these acquisitions position us as a leader in the future of vertical lift solutions, he said. Second, it builds a core competency in in uh, urban mobility operations. Third, it makes possible uh, synergies with our other affiliated companies like Flexjet and Sentinent, allowing us to provide a complete aircraft travel solution, he said. Uh, according to Ricky, directional, uh, uh, directional will um, share more about its vertical lift plans in the coming months, including bolstering the fleet with a manufacturer order that could lead to a possible combination of powerhouse travel solutions. But Andrew Collins, who's One Sky's on-demand private jet travel and vertical lift lead, uh, made it clear that Directional's longer-term goal is to jump into advanced air mobility uh, with the Halo and AAG acquisitions, providing a platform for the entry into service of electrical of electric vertical takeoff and landing that's e uh, evtol e v t o l uh, technology and uh, a link between airports and final destinations i mean it's you know it's it's, it's this is what it's, we need our mundo it's, it's, yeah it's going green yes <laughs> our resident helicopter pilot. yes yeah, I, 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 is it just me who finds that that phrase uh you know the uh up was it up vert you know, the vertical uplift or whatever you know the what was it what <laughs> vertical was? lift lead. yeah that's it that's the vertical, vertical lift vertical lift yes yeah. i think it's a, a lovely way of describing a helicopter <laughs> it's, it's a, ver a vertical lift vehicle yeah indeed it's uh yeah, it's all talking about uh, sort of the yeah. It's all to do with what we were talking about earlier earlier in the uh, uh, the the podcast, obviously, where it's all about this sort of urban air mobility, urban air mobility and vehicles and yeah. stuff. So it's uh, you know again exciting stuff. So next story, and we haven't had an interesting uh, in-flight safety video for a Ooh. while, but we haven't got one this week. But oh. we do have uh, a story from Travel Weekly, which is all about BA 
British Airways staff that are starring in an airline or the airline's uh, new TV ad. So oh. BA are, are bringing out a new TV ad, which we love. So British Airways has debuted its new TV advertising campaign. It's first since 2019. With the motto, you make us fly. The campaign features staff working at the carrier, making their way back to work. Uh, it is uh, BA's first advert since the A Love Letter to Britain, which marked the airline's oh, yes. centenary in 2019. That, yeah. And the 60-second ad has been shown to staff and will air for the first time on TV on Friday, May the 7th, around Googlebox, followed by Premier League football matches. Gogglebox, not Googlebox. Oh, Gogglebox. <laughs> I don't watch that rubbish. Oh, what? Or, is a brilliant Or project. Premier League football Pre- either. Yeah, no, Premier League football, I'm with you, but Gogglebox is a great watch. But if you're watching the F1, which I'm sure Matt will be, oh, it'll yeah. be... Uh, yeah. it'll feature in between the F1 as well. So Sean Doyle, BA's chairman and chief executive, said there is a sense of huge anticipation from colleagues across the airline who are preparing to return to work after a very difficult year. Mm. Uh, The story illustrates the pride that our people tell me they're feeling at the thought of seeing our planes in the sky once again and having the opportunity to welcome and serve our customers to reunite them with their friends and relatives. The excitement is palatable, he said. Uh, Helen Wetton, a triple seven captain. Palpable. <laughs> palpable, thank you. New feature. Palatable, in the is, pal- palatable is something very different. Sorry, I haven't had. To, I skipped. I skipped evening meals, and I. It's I'm all about stuck. the food for you, isn't it? I yes. Know. But no, Helen Wetton, a triple seven captain and first colleague to feature in the advert, said, "I am tremendously proud." She said to have been involved in creating this advert with BA. Uh, she played her own role as a female captain who springs out of bed and races to get work. I mean, it's all right. You will get your own back uh, later on, I'm sure, where <laughs> I trip over several words. Now, are we allowed, Are we actually looking at this? So this has actually been released on YouTube. Is that correct? So uh, yes, I'm a bit worried. May, that it, was uh, today. Yeah, because if yeah. it's not being, you know, sort of played out on adverts, you know, it hasn't been... Uh, I'm being told it has been released on YouTube, but it hasn't been released. Can we on see it? Yet. Can so, we see it? So yeah, so why don't we do I it? I haven't then? seen it yet. Here we go. Right, so uh, brace yourself for sixty sevens. For you on YouTube, here we go. Right, for sixty seconds of um, England looking great, or, or the UK, should I say, looking great? Good morning. This is your captain speaking. Here we go. <laughs> And we all recognise that tower that the fireworks were let out. Even I went, oh, look! 
I wonder if Adam yeah. was at home when they did that. I, I wonder yeah. whether Adam, Adam, uh, Adam sanctioned those fireworks being oh, I don't know. We'll blown have, over the tower. Yeah. There, we'll, but, we'll have yeah. to write. We'll have to write to him and find out. <laughs> but uh, what, what, uh, a, what a lovely ad! For it that. is lovely advert, isn't it? So Richard Adams in the chat room has said, "Is the B A is the B A Arman <laughs> Bartman behind Carlos part of the campaign?" Look. Yeah, I'll just I'll just I'll reach around and get a, get a drink here. Right. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're going to have to turn your mirroring on. <laughs> and uh, oh, is it, uh, didn't catch any sight of Nev. No, indeed. No, he, he's actually in the he's in the BA first lounge here. Uh, lounge uh, yes, here, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I'm a bit worried about the guy behind you, Carlos. Seriously, he hasn't moved for about sort of forty five minutes. He's <laughs> he's pouring out a, a bottle of champagne, but he's pouring it. Very slowly. Right, okay. Well, you, you know, you don't want it to sort of go out of the glass, I suppose. Graham Haley says that uh, great parking job at the end there, only just off the centre line. That's good to know, <laughs> very important. Trust Graham. Uh, obviously, the links uh, to the ad will be, uh, for those of you listening on the audio version, uh, the links to all these stories will be in the show notes, so you'll be able to uh, watch the video on your phone while you're out and about. Actually, Matt, before you move on with your next story, can we just point out uh, where that lovely picture came from behind you this evening because a listener sent that in to us didn't they, they did indeed um and i think it was it i think ray I, davis yes it was ray davis wasn't it yes sorry i panicked there for a minute <laughs> i panicked <laughs> the, yes the, the royal australian air force gives is a bit of a giveaway you are no yeah. we're, we're quite lucky that we've got quite a quite a few people who listen in australia so mm. it could have could have come from yes, anywhere, thank you ray yeah absolutely beautiful picture ray thank you very much uh, anyway while the camera is on me let's move on to the next story and the headline is boeing to open more 737-800 BCF conversion lines. So Boeing, Boeing conversion. Indeed, traders. Boeing on Wednesday signalled its intention to further expand its 737-800 BCF cargo conversion capacity uh, by contracting the Costa Rican MRO provider uh, Co- Cooperative. This week, get your own back. Um, Co- <laughs> Cooperativa uh, Auto Gestura. Oh my goodness, sake. Uh, okay, somebody will tell me how to say that in a moment. Uh, so, Audio Gestionara de Servicios uh, Aero Industriales. Or, or Cupessa for short, which is what we're going to do from now on, uh, to add two new lines to the city of Aluga. And uh, plans call for the opening of the first Boeing 737-800 BCF conversion line outside China in early 2022. Um Oh, sorry, like, yeah, outside of China in early 2022 and the second later that year. Boeing forecasts a need for 1,500 freighter conversions over the next 20 years to meet growing demand, which has been reinforced by a shortage of belly capacity in passenger airlines since the onset of COVID-19. Of those, standard body conversions will account for uh, 1,080, uh, some 30% of which will go to customers in North America and Latin America, Boeing estimates. Uh, The company now converts uh, 737-800 passenger airplanes to freighters at three locations, Boeing Shanghai Aviation Services in Shanghai, um, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, is it Gwertsoff? Guazhou, sorry, thanks, John. Uh, Aircraft Maintenance Engineering Company, or Gameco, as it said in its short, uh, China and Taiko, uh, Shandong. 
uh, and at an aircraft engineering company uh, in Jinan in China. Uh, so Boeing has secured orders for more than 180737-800 BCFs from 15 companies, uh, customers, sorry, on four continents in March. It re-delivered the 50th 737-800 BCF since the model entered service in 2018. You know, it's safe to say this this aircraft, the 737, I mean, obviously everyone normally thinks of cargo aircraft as being the big 747s, you know, and the, uh, you know, the large 777 freighters as such. But the 737 has been a, in a really good freighter for, for a lot of years now. And mm. it's still going back to the Dash 300 series. There is still the Dash 300, the 737-300 freight is still flying in various yeah. parts of the, the world. And obviously this is the Dash 800, which is obviously the, the newer version, the next generation version, the 73. But it's it's such a well-proven platform for a freighter and it's it's worked so well for many... Um, Indeed. Well, and of course, one of the other things it does highlight is how, um, how much we don't realise... Um, how much stuff is, uh, uh, you know, the planes that are taking passengers backwards mm. and forwards. You don't realise actually how much stuff is is in the hold underneath. You know, mm. from a from yeah. a cargo point of view. So uh, I guess that's Turkish uh, uh, <laughs> is saying Spanish lessons needed here. Yeah, yeah, Fair yeah. point. Yes. No. I'll give you that. Absolutely. I did apologise before I started. <laughs> where are Spanish lessons. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Lovely. I'll, I'll I'll do my my French ones next. Yes, week. and unfortunately, right yeah. in the middle of that story, John, who's very good at pronouncing things like that and can put the words in my ears. Unfortunately, his connection had dropped at the time, so we were unable to. <laughs> he was unable to to spoon feed it. So his eyes looked less stupid. But anyway, there we go. As you say, one of these days I'll get the hang of this. <laughs> so next story is uh, from CNBC.com, and uh, this one is Boeing backed startup Whisk signs the uh, first deal to operate air taxis in the US. Why does that suggest food to me again? Anyway, <laughs> Just because you're hungry, you're fighting I know, I know. Whisk Aero, a startup backed by Boeing and Kitty Hawk, has finalised its first deal to operate autonomous air taxis in the US. The company will own, operate and maintain up to 30 eVTOL aircraft that will be offered through the Blade Urban Air Mobility Network. The deployment of Whisk Air Taxis is <laughs> so hungry, is contingent upon the Federal Aviation Administration certifying the aircraft for commercial operation. They said that we have been focused on developing an aircraft and customer experience that is efficient, accessible and most importantly, safe said Whisk CEO Gary Geisen, and he said that in a release announcing the deal. The combination of our expertise, he said, as an autonomous eVTOL aircraft manufacturer and operator with the operational expertise of Blade will help usher in an even greater level of safety and service. For Blade, the Whisk partnership is the company's latest move to add eVTOLs, or electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, to its charter network. In mid-April, it struck a deal with Beta Technologies for the operation of 20 piloted eVTOLs starting in 2025. Unlike the Beta Technologies aircraft, the Whisk eVTOLs are being designed to fly autonomously, carrying two passengers up to 25 miles when fully charged. Uh, Whisk, which builds autonomous eVTOLs, was formed in 2019 when Boeing agreed to combine some of the development work on eVTOLs with the division of Kitty Hawk, the firm started by Google co-founder Larry Page and Sebastian Thrun. 
financial uh, financial advisory company Delote 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 says passenger and cargo retails will be a four billion dollar market by 2025 and 57 billion dollar market by 2035 so matt me and uh, you going off for a little ride here in this uh this you know unmanned uh taxi with me and you in the back 25 miles hmm, that might just get us to norwich and back Oh, I mean, I'm one way probably to be honest with you, especially, especially if you go yeah. late late at night. I, I, I don't think you see much mm. change from twenty five quid, would you? Uh, just coming back home, yeah. It's that whole Jetsons thing again. You know. <laughs> this whole um, yeah. Have you actually flown your uh, your drone lately, Matt? Because you you've got lately one. no, to be honest with no. you. Uh, and yet I, I'm all registered because in fact I've recently just re- renewed my um, my drone license. Mm. Um, but um, it's, it's, it was the same. I only seem to want to fly it or, or have time to fly it when it's fifty mile an hour winds outside, <laughs> um, which has been very frustrating of late. But actually, no, you're right. As I say, well, I'm working tomorrow, but uh, perhaps if the weather's good, I think Sunday I might go and. Uh, oh no, I'm on the radio. Yeah, Sunday. Pat, Pat. Okay, I mean, always <laughs> on the radio. Sunday. <laughs> Running Shameless out of plug. Shameless, Shameless plug. plug. Yeah. Shameless yeah. plug. Absolutely. Anyway, kitchen disco tomorrow night. Oh right. Uh, <laughs> <next>. <laughs> yeah. As you do. As uh, you do. So uh, this next one, uh, Matt, you've got, um, and uh, this is all about Airbus's fly-by-wire pioneer. I didn't know this one. No, no, I didn't. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, the headline is Airbus announces death of civil fly-by-wire uh, pioneer Ziegler. So Airbus has announced the death of engineering icon uh, Bernard Ziegler. The figure it credits with driving uh, intru- with driving introduction of the commercial f- digital fly-by-wire technology, which became a fundamental characteristic of the airframers aircraft. Uh, while while Ziegler's legacy. Uh, the use of side stick controls and the software which provided flight envelope protection emerged with the Airbus A320 uh, more than three decades ago. It ultimately spread beyond uh, Airbus with similar technology featuring in a number of other modern types uh, including Bombardier C-Series, now the Airbus A220, uh, which let's be honest has been a ridiculously successful aircraft hasn't it, that Mm, A220. Um, And uh, a couple of the uh, uh, aircraft that that they mentioned also is the Irkut MC-21 and the the Comac C919. Fly-by-wire was a revolutionary concept in civil aviation and set Airbus's aircraft apart from those of rival manufacturers including Boeing, Lockheed and uh, McDonnell Douglas. Uh, Ziegler believed there was a considerable safety and efficiency margin to be gained by allowing the pilot's inputs uh, to activate control surfaces, not through conventional mechanical links, but through electrical signals and moderated by computers, without losing the sense and perception of a direct connection between the control input and the aircraft attitude. Sorry, uh, The son of Airbus uh, Industries' ch- first chief, uh, Henry Ziegler, Ziegler sorry, um, he joined the company as its chief test pilot in 1972, carrying out the maiden flight of the A300 in the same year. Following a career in the military as a fighter pilot and test pilot and an education in aeronautical engineering, Airbus used an A300B2 variant as a testbed for the fly-by-wire technology, um, which... uh, 
uh, and they had already started shifting cockpit design towards two pilot operations before uh, the A320 with its full fly-by-wire system which entered service back in 1988. Um, uh, fly-by-wire has since become the foundation for all aircraft, commercial uh, aircraft, most recently on the A350, the A330neo and the A330-700L, uh, the outside uh, transport known as the Beluga XL. Uh, Ziegler was part of the A340 maiden flight crew and took part in uh, an A340-200 circumnavigation from Paris to uh, from Paris Le Bourget, uh, achieved uh, in 48 hours 22 minutes with a single stop in Auckland in 1993. Ziegler retired from Airbus where he was senior vice president of engineering in late 1997. Over his service and career he received multiple honours and medals and was given a lifetime achievement award by uh, Flight Global in, in 2012. Ziegler was 88 years of age. Wow. I mean that's a heck of a legacy isn't it? I, 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 you know, I'm ashamed to say I've never even I've never heard and heard of the uh, the chap, really. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, by the way, the story came from Flight Global. By the way, that's uh, where it came from. Yeah. Very interesting indeed, man. Very much so. Yes. Okay. Story number eight. So story number eight this week, and this one comes to us from people.com, tiktok.com. Ooh, blimey, tiktok, I can't stand that thing. What? And, uh, oh, no, it's just... Oh, I oh just, no, I, I lose many an no hour interest. playing with that. No it's, interest yeah. in that at all. Oh, dear. I'm, I think it's because I'm old, you know. That's what it is. Well, older than you anyway, mate. Um, I have nothing I can add to that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So the headline on here, woman who was unaware of pregnancy gives birth on flight. Oh, blimey. Yeah, that's a bit of a shocking one. So a woman who did not know she was pregnant gave birth to a baby on a Delta Airlines flight that just so happened to be carrying her own personal medical team. That was handy. Uh, Lavina <laughs> Lavi Manunga was uh, flying from Salt Lake City to Honolulu on Wednesday when she unexpectedly gave birth to her son Raymond just at just 29 weeks, according to a news release from Hawaii Pacific Health. Now, they said that our sister did not know she was pregnant, so she was just as shocked as the rest of us when our nephew was born, they said. Uh, the new mum's sister wrote uh, this on a GoFundMe page that has raised nearly $6,000. Oh, wow. Luckily for Manuga, the, uh, the, um, there happened to be several passengers on board the flight uh, for whom caring for a mother and a new baby is second nature. Uh, Dr. Gail, uh, Dale Glenn, a family medicine physician with Hawaii Pacific Health, an NICU nurse, Lani Bamfield, Amanda Beading, and Mimi Ho. So, Manunga Bamfield, Beading, and Ho, who are specially trained to treat premature births, were already there. Blimey, you just couldn't. Yeah. Honestly, because the group didn't have uh, the usual tools they do in hospital, Glenn uh, relied on wilderness medical training. And he and the nurses used shoelaces to tie and cut through the baby's umbilical cord, the release said. Oh, my word. Uh, they also made uh, baby warmers out of microwave bottles. And it used, and used, unfortunate to say, an Apple Watch to measure the newborn's heart rate. Oh, stop it. Android are available, keeping him stable for the three hours it took to land. Blimey, three hours to land? Could they find a 
closer diversion there, Paul. Anyway, well, I, uh, I suppose Minogue... to be fair, if everything's all in all in order, then then they don't need to. Yeah, they don't true. need they, to, do they? they? I mean, they may they may have been over water. You never yeah, know. exactly. So Manuga, who lives in Urem, Utah, and was travelling to Hawaii on vacation with family, received a special visit from the group in the hospital two days later. Aww. The new mum has since been discharged, though little Raymond will remain in the NICU until he is ready to go home. The heartwarming story that was captured on video by TikTok user Julia Hansen, whose viral clip has been viewed more than 13.4 million times. Wow. Now, honestly, if you're on a flight and you're going to have a medical issue of some description, yes. it's blinking handy to have doctors, nurses, paramedics, firemen... I wonder, I wonder if there is ever a scenario where there isn't actually a medical professional <laughs> on board a flight somewhere. I don't know. We'd have to reach out to, to uh, one of our, our listeners mm. who is who is crew, I think, to find out how yeah. often uh, this would happen. Indeed. But, it is. I mean, when you think, especially on a long haul flight, you've got a, a, a twin aisle aircraft like a triple seven or an A three fifty. You know, you've got you know two hundred and fifty plus passengers on the flight. I mean, you'd be unlucky, I would have said, to mm. not have some type of medical professional on the plane. Yeah. But, Although you sort of feel a bit for for her because I, I dare say privacy might have been a small issue in that particular environment. Um, yes. But uh, there we go. As I say, but a happy ending uh, for everyone involved, which is great indeed. Yes. So I've got the last story here. Okay. And uh, this, um, well, this is one heck of a story, I think, to finish. Okay. On, go on. Yeah, the news this week. So this one comes to us from, and the pictures here that Matt's got to put up, I think, are quite interesting. The uh, DailyMail.co.uk. This one comes from, and um, I think many of us watching or listening to the show would would love to have a tour of an airport at some time. Um, I know us uh, aviation geeks, me and Matt, uh, Nev, Armando, have had the pleasure or privilege of being able to tour behind the scenes in uh, at Heathrow, haven't we, Matt? Well, yeah, we've been to absolutely. see uh, various things there. But uh, this story goes on an excess baggage. So a boy who is nine years old goes for a ride on an airport luggage belt after sneaking off from his parents. So the boy sneaked away from his parents at an airport to hop on a moving conveyor belt, then jumped onto another one when staff shut it down to try and catch him. The unnamed nine-year-old's adventure began when he slipped past his parents as they checked their luggage at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport ahead of a flight on Saturday. He then made his way onto the conveyor belt, evading Delta Airlines staff who were unable to stop him. Uh, Good Morning America reported. Surveillance videos show the boy being sucked into the airport's baggage system moments before disappearing behind a divider. Delta employees immediately shut down the conveyor belt, but the boy was able to move onto another operational conveyor belt that took him into the area where the bags are checked and screened, GMA reported. It took less than four minutes for airport police to locate the child. Authorities returned him to his parents and airport officials said he did not suffer any injuries. He was lucky. Uh, Airport spokesperson Pat Hogan told NPR News that the nine-year-old boy and his family were part of a group of around 20 people making it easier for him to slip away unnoticed. The airport said it's investigating the matter and that it will look uh, work with Delta Airlines on options to help prevent a reoccurrence of the situation. <laughs> oh, I love that story, honestly. I mean, I have, vis- I have visions of you as a, as a five-year-old doing that. I, I, I think nine is 
mischievous if i'm honest i think it's uh you know sort of doing it just to be difficult i, th but, I think uh, i i was I mean, i'm gonna admit to this i was always one of those those children uh, you know at the airport with my parents and i'd always try and sit on the the um, baggage reclaim carousel or sit on a suitcase on the baggage reclaim carousel and travel around obviously that i mean why am i not surprised um, it never went down well. I got took off pretty quick. Uh, no, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I should imagine lots of people were very <laughs> cross about you doing that. Uh, your mum especially would have been horrified if I know your mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. But come on, I, I'd imagine that most of the people in the chat room would have loved to have had a go yeah. on this. And let's be fair, it's a great tour of the airport. You get to see some, some really interesting parts. Yes, of but the there are reasons why though, those parts of the airport are like out of limits. You know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> just no, you know, there we go. <laughs> Here we go. So that's where we bring the commercial news uh, uh, to a close. But we have uh, we have got some military news, haven't we, man? We have indeed, yes, and we'll be bringing you that in just a moment. Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting-edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320 Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. There we go. Right. So, if you're ready, Matt, uh, we better obviously keep Armando happy. And well, absolutely. Is he still in the chat room? Is he keeping our? Is he keeping uh, tabs I'm on not us? Sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, I'll, I'll hit I the button. I can't anyway. see him. So quickly, quickly. Yeah, go, 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 go. <laughs> So the first story on the list this week uh, comes to us from the aviationist.com and uh, 17 F-35Bs have already landed aboard the British aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth ahead of the CSG-21 deployment. As already reported, 10 United States Marine Corps F-35Bs aircraft belonging to the VMFA-2 on 1 Wake Island Avengers based at uh, Marine Corps Air Station Yuma, Arizona, have arrived at RAF Lakenheath, UK, between April 26th and 28th uh, to embark on the uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth for the UK's new aircraft carrier's first operational cruise named CSG-21. On her maiden operational deployment, Her uh, Majesty's uh, Queen Elizabeth ahead or will travel to uh, the Indo-Pacific region, leading the largest naval and air task force under British command since the Falklands War. However, before reaching the troubled waters of the South China Seas, the F-35Bs will be quite busy. 
they will take part in exercise joint warrior strike warrior off scotland then in drills with nato partners in the northern atlantic and mediterranean sea and will also support counter daesh operations in iraq and syria the deployment represents the first time uk fighter aircraft are embarked on an operational aircraft carrier deployment since 2010 and will be the largest number of f-35b's ever to sail the seas says the uk ministry of defense in a news release the renowned 617 Squadron, or the Dam Busters Squadron, will operate the jets to provide tangible and impactful support to counter Daesh operations in Iraq and Syria. Minister for the Armed Forces, James Heapies, MP, said the F-35B Lightning Jets will pack a potent punch against Daesh and help prevent them from regaining a foothold in Iraq. This is a prime example, he said, of the UK's armed forces stepping in and stepping forward with allies to confront persistent threats around the world. It is global Britain in action, he said. In anticipation of the upcoming deployment, the US Marine Corps and RAF F-35Bs have started on the uh, 2nd of May uh, 2021 to launch respectively from RAF Lakenheath and RAF Marham to embark on HMS Queen Elizabeth. Now, it's, I'm glad they've finally got this um, uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth going because they did have rather a lot of small teething troubles with uh, this particular ship right. when it was launched, not uh, including a slight water leak. Oh, and, that's, uh, an issue. that's an issue on a ship, certainly. Yes, and they had to, <laughs> uh, they had to change or adjust the, uh, the flight deck itself because the, the vertical takeoff and landing... Uh, jets were having a sort of a burning issue oh right that's not ideal uh jonathan warner is saying i'm going to scotland sunday for a few days to hunt aircraft taking part in joint warrior operations oh there we go right send us the pictures yes yes i I dare say there'll be a try and get some video please mr warner i know that's not something you do much of but we do love a bit of video so uh, there you go there's your challenge there's your challenge so, Matt, we're going to Egypt for the next uh, story. We are indeed, yes. So this is on EgyptToday.com, and the headline is uh, Egypt signs contract with France to buy 30... Uh, Raf, Raf, is it Raphael or Raphael? Raphael. Raphael. Raphael fighter jets. Uh, So uh, Cairo is where this is coming from. 4th of May 2021. Egypt signed a contract with the French Dassault Aviation Company to purchase uh, Dassault. I've done it again. I do that every time we have one of the Dassault. Sorry. (laughs) Aviation. I told you you get your own back. Uh, Aviation Company to purchase uh, 30. I'm going to say Raphael fighter jets. Armando, please feel free to correct me at any point. Uh, Announced the Egyptian armed forces in a statement on Monday evening. The deal will be financed by a loan that will be repaid uh, over 10 years. Uh, The statement said, adding that uh, Egypt had signed a contract in 2015 with uh, France to get 24 Rafale fighter jets uh, for the Egyptian Air Force. Uh, The 24 Rafale jets uh, were part of a deal valued at 5.3 million euros. That's 5.9 billion dollars. Uh, Rafale was the first intro- uh, was first introduced into the French air defence back in 2006. Uh, Reuters reported that the new deal is worth 3.75 billion euros. That's 4.5 billion 
Uh, the aircraft has a multi-sensor data fusion and has the potential to integrate a variety of current and future armaments. Uh, Rafale jets in Egypt took part in training activities, securing Egyptian vital areas, operations to combat terrorism and uh, aviation shows when uh, inaugurating uh, Mohammed Naguib uh, Air Base, the largest in the Middle East uh, uh, Middle East, North African region. So it's um, yeah, it, it's it's a great sort of thing there, isn't it? Really, is they they obviously like the aircraft, don't they? If they, especially if it's already been involved in in um, sort of training operations and things like that. Do, do we know much about the Rafale, or or is that an Armando question? That is definitely an Armando question. Right. But I I, <laughs> okay. I know I know for a fact yeah. that I, I'm pretty confident that uh, Jonathan Warner will have quite an extensive collection of uh, of photos of that aircraft. Good, excellent, excellent. I I should have uh, if if I'd have been sensible. Then it's uh, yes, though no, it's not. Uh, He'll probably send you one in a minute. For uh, yeah, I dare say it'll be before before we finish the military. That it'll it'll arrive, won't it? Uh, anyway, right on to the next story. So this one comes to us from warbirdsnews.com. The Idaho Air National Guard A10 repainted in P47 Thunderbolt heritage livery so the national guard paint facility in sioux city iowa revealed a remarkable heritage paint scheme which they completed this week on an idaho air national guard a10 thunderbolt 2 the 124th fighter wing of the idaho air national guard conceived this new livery for their a10 in celebration of the unit's 75th anniversary and their lineage to the world war ii era 405th fighter group which flew republic p47 thunderbolts the 405th fighter group was a united states army air forces fighter bomb group during world war ii they flew p47 thunderbolts in the european theater of operations uh, starting with the build-up the invasion of normandy or normandy d-day and continuing through to the end of the war in europe the 405th was a unit within the 9th air force and the, the uh, Fighter Command's Tactical Air Command 84th Fighter Wing, and they operated some 73 aircraft spread between the 509th and the 510th and the 511th Fighter Squadrons, plus headquarters elements and primarily carried out support missions uh, for Peyton's Third Army. The World War II themed livery for the newly painted A-10 Thunderbolt gets down to the details with a white near, uh, nose, uh, period US Air Force roundels on the fuselage large and wing along with a d-day invasion stripes all painted over an olive drab base coat the 8n painted on the side of the aircraft indicates the aircraft code for the 405th fighter squadron and it's not just the unit but the aircraft which share a common lineage with the original p-47 thunderbolt that was manufactured by the republic aviation during world war ii as a multi Roll air-to-air and ground attack aircraft. After the war, the P-47 remained in service in the U.S. Air National Guard through to the early 1950s, where it was used as a cost-effective way to train new aircrew. And then during the war, the Britain's Royal Air Force adapted their P-47Ds to become primary uh, primary ground attack aircraft, similar to the mission of the A-10 today. The P-47's younger sibling, the A-10 Thunderbolt II, was manufactured by uh, Fairchild Republic and designed specifically for close air support with its heavy 30mm rotary cannon. It's commonly known as the Tank Killer or Tank Buster. The 430th 
Smith Heritage, Heritage paint scheme on this A10 is one of several similar heritage schemes uh, which the ANG National or Paint Facility has created in the past several years. Uh, units of the Air Force and Air National Guard can get permission to temporarily paint non-standard markings on aircraft as part of unit heritage and morale. The aircraft will likely appear at air shows this year. If you're watching the air shows or you're there, don't forget to take pictures and send them to us, reminding us audiences of the unit's World War II heritage. Great pictures there, Matt. Love that. That was indeed. very good indeed. Uh, uh, going back to the previous story, by the way, uh, Graham Haley has sent this into our WhatsApp number. It's a very beautiful Yay! picture of the Raphael. Raphael. Yeah. Is it Raphael or Raphael? I don't know. Rafa, Raphael. Oh, no, yeah. It, it, I just I, keep thinking of the Ninja Turtles. When yes, I, I, I did wonder where that's where you go from. Yes, and that was sent in to plus four four seven five seven two two four. 9166. It's worth mentioning uh, Mr. Warner has also sent me a, a rather beautiful one that looks like a zebra uh, but unfortunately he sent it to my personal phone and not the WhatsApp one so it means the, <laughs> so I can't pop it up here in the studio but uh, there we go. All part of the fun. So, um, yes the next story he says because he's popped that picture up on the same machine that he's trying to do this that one, the, This one's come to us from the stripes.com Indeed, yes. And uh, the headline is uh, Iraq's F-16 program stalls after US contractors uh, evacuate uh, Balad Air Base, uh, the report says. So increased threats and attacks by Iran-backed uh, military military militaires uh, forced American contractors to evacuate Iraq's Balad Air Base in March where they were where they were supporting Iraq's F-16 program a US government report said this week without the Americans the uh, Iraqis cannot perform the full range of maintenance tasks on the um, sorry on the country's fleet of f-16s which are key to the fight against uh, the islamic state group uh, 32 of the 36 f-16 fighter jets uh, iraq received from 2014 to 2017 were uh were in inventorized at ballad uh, last summer and 75% were either fully or partially operational in December. In the first three months of 2021 they flew 299 sorties. The lead uh, inspector general for Operation Inherent Resolve said in a quarterly report on Tuesday all but four of these sorties were training missions it said. Uh, the US personnel were evacuated uh, in March after a handful of rockets hit Ballad in late February, days after a strike in, Erb in Erbil killed um, a Filipino contractor and wounded a US service member. The contractors returned later in the month, but Defence Intelligence Agency officials told the IG that uh, the tactics employed by the, milita the militaires uh, this quarter suggest that there may be planning for more attacks. The report was released hours after two rockets hit an empty square at Al-Assad airbase and a day after several rockets uh, struck Balad. There were no reports of casualties in either attack, but two weeks ago uh, the Associated Press reported that two foreign contractors were wounded in an attack on Balad. Uh, together with the impact of COVID-19, the unrest presented employees of the US-based Lockheed Martin and Sallyport Global from directly supporting the F-16s, the IG said in a previous quarterly report. That, that caused 
uh, Iraqi pilots uh, to lack confidence in their aircraft and would be uh, could oh sorry would be adequately supported. The U.S. Central Command told the IG. As a result, the Iraqi F-16s didn't fly combat missions from April to September 2020, when the contractors began um, returning. Military air advisors are no longer housed at the base, and while U.S. Air Force advisors regularly visit Balad, the lack of a dedicated advising presence and secure communications have so far kept the F-16s of Iraq's 9th Fighter Squadron off the coalition's air tasking order. Say that after a few beers. Indeed. A bit of a bit of a sad story, actually, really, I suppose. Mm. It's, um, I guess it can't be helped where they are. I guess it's one of those things, isn't it? But uh, there we go. So we are going in the military news to a close there. Hopefully Armando will be back soon to uh, to do these. Have we? Yes, yeah, there's oh, a yes, yes uh, story number 5. Um I can I can take it. That's fine. It's not a problem. I'll do it. Uh, there is. Uh, it's fine. The uh, sorry about that slight technical glitch in the notes there. So the final story is the Air Force's first Skyborg autonomous autonomous drone prototype made its first flight. Uh, so this story comes out of Washington from the DefenseNews.com, and the Air Force carried out the first flight. Uh, test of a cyborg drone last month uh, with a Kratos UTAP-22 Mako equipped with a bespoke autonomy system, moving the service one step closer to fielding an uncrewed loyal wingman for human pilots. During a two-hour and ten-minute flight test held on April the 29th at Tyndall Air Force Base in uh, Florida, uh, UTAP-22 equipped with a Skyborg autonomy core system performed a series a series sorry of basic flight maneuvers to demonstrate the safe operation of the system the air force stated in a may 5th news release the autonomy core system or acs is a package of hardcore uh, sorry hardware and software that effectively acts as the brains of the skyborg aircraft allowing the drone to conduct operations without the need of a human pilot to physically fly the aircraft the acs demonstrated basic aviation capabilities and responded to navigational commands while reacting to geofences, adhering to aircraft flight envelopes and demonstrating coordinated manoeuvring, the Air Force said in a news release. The Skyborg test was monitored from several unspecified airborne and ground uh, command and control centres. Ultimately, the Air Force intends to field a family of Skyborg drones capable of operating alongside tactical aircraft like the F-35 and the F-15EX and taking on missions too risky for human pilots. Uh, Steve uh, Steve Fendley, who's the president of Kratos Unmanned Systems Division, said that the event illustrated the potential for attributable, attributable do- drones, uh, the term given to unmanned aircraft that, while reusable, are cheap enough that losses can be tolerated during combat. Kratos is one of three aircraft manufacturers chosen by the Air Force to deliver Skyborg's prototype drones that will be configured with the ACS for tests this year. The company received a 37.7 million dollar contract in December 2020. The service also awarded contractors to 
uh, contracts to Boeing and General Autonomics uh, worth $25.7 million and $14.3 million respectively. All three companies are expected to deliver their first prototypes by the end of May, the service previously said. Further experiments are expected to occur over the next several months with the end goal of demonstrating the uh, operation of multiple Skyborg drones teamed with fighter aircraft flown by human air uh, pilots and I think I mean I think we said this before haven't we that, that this is going to be the future isn't it it's uh, you know sort of less and less pilots actually in the cockpit of these things and you know sort of them being piloted or operated from a great distance am I the only person who thinks when you say something like Skyborg yeah, I, I immediately thought Terminator. of uh, Terminator yes absolutely that's yeah. the first thing that popped into my head when I was doing that but uh, yes there we go I'm sure they have all the protocols in place that are required well I hope so I don't want the T2 <laughs> or whatever his name is you know coming through the door and oh is that the liquid metal one you're referring to isn't it, is it yeah is that the yeah. liquid metal yeah yeah, yeah. Blimey. indeed if he does, he can come back as an aircraft. Anyway, right, right. moving on right. to <laughs> to the social media uh, post that we put on Facebook each week. For, the, for those of you who follow us on Facebook will know that uh, we have started doing a little caption this every week. A picture we put up on Facebook and then we ask everyone, all our wonderful PTUK family, to uh, leave your wittiest and most humorous comment on the picture so for the this week's picture i thought we'd go with some military for this week i mean you say that in the loosest possible sense so uh (laughs) we have the picture here and this is the latest uh mig 17 uh that's uh had uh, a, a discussion with a wall i think at some point um, so I'm not what you guys and girls think of that who, who are watching the YouTube feed. But this is a, a MiG-17 that um, is probably quarter of its size, I'd have to say. And uh, uh, Yeah, it's quite small. To, yes, absolutely. I, I, were, it looks like basically an engine with a with a fin on the top of it and, and a couple of wings yeah. on either side. I mean, it's just... Uh, I mean, when I, when I first looked at this picture, I was trying to work out where the pilot's legs or feet were because, yeah... It's, it's all engine and engine and wings and wheels and yeah <laughs> yes i mean I, I think the aerodynamics are an issue but uh yeah lane street has suggested that perhaps it would be easy to park uh he's not wrong yeah. i think uh, but uh yes yeah, so, we, so we we had some great comments didn't we, that came <laughs> in uh, on the uh on uh, the, the, this here so well, i'll take a couple of them so stephen said that uh, what sergey lacked in strength he made up for with thrust that's good to know uh, and when you get told to land and hold short, I mean that's lit- that's the definition of <laughs> that in one hit. Uh, also, uh, Stephen said that uh, uh, though they couldn't keep uh, up with the American stealth technology, typically those cunning Soviet engineers found alternative approaches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like Dari's. Um, yeah, she- what what was Dari's? Dari, uh, Dari says, Doctor Evil. Mini me, you complete me. Very beautiful. Very, Very good. Beautiful. That's a good impression. Well done. I know. Yeah. I know. Because I, I was watching the film this afternoon in the lorry. Oh, was it? <laughs> that I don't want to know. I was watching Goldmember. Yes. Not when I was driving. Not oh, when I was good. Driving. I'm I was just... 
yes we, we don't i should no, stress we, we don't, don't endorse, endorse driving and watching videos all right um i was on my break thank you okay. um this one that's comes a hell of a break Adam. by the way if you watch the whole film yeah i was, I was waiting i was waiting to be unloaded oh okay all right yeah, yeah. um alan says did anyone read the washing instructions uh no probably not uh david said that more defense budget cuts was a possible reason why they came up with this aircraft uh john suggested that fisher price one. yeah fisher price have, have developed a pedal airplane for those big kids we'll have to get you one of those i think uh and the last two carlos we'll leave with you uh eric uh, says the mig 1.7 was too small for weaponry and relied solely on shock factor to distract its opponents stephen said uh when the engineer runs out of vodka Oh, and that's a very serious scenario. Very yes, good. Absolutely. Uh, there's a few uh, more in the chat room, which I think John is going to pop up on screen for us. So Jonathan Warner has suggested that egg planes move to make full-size replicas. <laughs> uh, Miles High says, uh, looks like here, uh, looks like King Jong-un's uh, alter ego. <laughs> a, little, a little bit political. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. And also Miles High has suggested that Russian cost-cutting is rife with this particular jet. I mean, jet. Can, yeah. can you, honestly, can you imagine the power or the weight to thrust or weight power? To I wouldn't want to be sitting on it like they are. <laughs> I've got I to mean, be honest. It would, it would be a real bugger to try and control I think, that. I aircraft. think it would be very uh, family show, Carlos. Please, uh, right. it's very um, toasty. I think is the other word that we're looking for there, uh, where they're sat. Yeah. yeah indeed okay yeah. so uh yes uh next up we're going to go to the patreon and uh hopefully you've got all the details there uh carlos because it, it's that time of the month and we like to say thank you to all those wonderful people who have helped keep us on the air through what i can only describe as probably the, the most difficult year mm. on record and for many of us it feels like there will be no end in sight because we're all missing our friends very dearly at the moment it has to be said so uh Yes, uh, but as I say, these amazing people deserve uh, a bit of a shout out and uh, we'll leave you to do that, Carlos. Yes, a massive, massive thank you this month to Warren Dixon, Louis Reyes, Andrew van der Sarg, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Megan Carrion, Jacob Darlington-Brown, Nicholas Hewitt, Masha Gertz, Mr. Uh, Owen Shimizu, whoever that is, uh, Reuben Wells, Neil Lanwarn, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, uh, Eric Graves, Matt Caton, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, uh, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Myla, Evan Chu, Philip Labe, Shut Bakker, Ray Williams, and Dr. Steph. Uh, big thanks to all you who donate through Patreon. And a big thanks as well to those who donate through PayPal. Jenny in Rome, Jennifer Parkinson, uh, Richard Adams, Mazus Karim, and uh, Alan Loveday. Big thanks to you as well for your kind, generous, very generous donations uh, through PayPal. And uh, yeah, we, we did invest a little bit of money uh, last month in some new tech for the PTUK studios. Matt, can you give us an update on how that new tech has uh, been working? Well, you're on it. That's how you're thinking. That's how you're. On, that's how you're on screen now through said uh, bit of t tech. Although uh, the more astute of you may have noticed that I didn't respond when I was asked a question earlier on because one of the mics in the studio here has failed. So we need to have a conversation about that. I'm afraid. Oh no. <laughs> 
<laughs> we've 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 had a Behringer C one go down. I'm afraid. I know. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah, had yeah. them since we started the show. I know. Like I know. As in the podcast. Yeah, like like way back when. They're so so the one oh, in front of me is about nine years old. So I suppose in fairness, it doesn't owe oh. us a lot. Uh, I'll tell you what, those those Behringer mics have been really, really good. I know, it's a shame well. we can't get them anymore. It's yeah. a real pity, really. Yeah. But uh, So if you want to become a Patreon, obviously it's tough times at the moment, but if you have got a spare few pence laying around the back of the sofa or down the uh, back of the uh, cat bed or dog bed, then you can <laughs> become a Patreon of the show, which uh, is just easy to do. It's through our website. You can find the links on there. Or if you want to make a one-off donation for a new microphone, uh, you can uh, do that through <laughs> PayPal through our website as well. Yeah. We really do appreciate. I mean, we're it. all right at the moment, Carlos. To be fair, yeah. because f- for as long as COVID uh, continues, we don't we don't need more than one microphone oh, in the studio. Because uh, I but I'm currently now using yours. Uh, which is how come I managed to get myself back on air. But, uh, yeah, indeed. But, no, seriously, a massive thank you because yeah. times are really tough all across yeah, the globe absolutely. for everyone. And we really do appreciate those who donate through Patreon. So thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you, everyone. Indeed. So uh, a bit of a uh, bit of a sort of uh, kind of, well, history, or not history, a bit of future uh, news for everyone. What's Ooh. coming up? Uh, in the sh- in the show over the next promo, I think is the word you're looking for. Carlos. Yes, it promo. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, John. Thank you, Matt. So a bit of a promo for those of you who are watching us on YouTube and listening to the show. A uh, little bit of an upcoming event. What's going mm. on? So a couple of very next, exciting things, haven't we? We have, yeah. In the show next week. So if you tune in next week to the show, we have got uh, one of the senior invest uh, inspectors from the AAIB coming on the show. The Air accidents investigation uh, branch here in the UK. Uh, he'll be coming on the show next week to talk about uh, what the AAIB do and uh, all about investigating uh, accidents and stuff. So so that'll be next week mm. on the show. going to be very and- interesting. Make sure you, as I say, if, you, if you're not able to, uh, to join us live, then make sure you send us uh, your mm. questions because um, if you've got any questions. So this is a real rare opportunity to have a, a conversation with one of these amazing people. So make sure you get your questions in. Uh, lots of ways in which you can do that, by the way. I know you've got something else to share as well, but we'll uh, yes. we'll, we'll do that in just a moment. But um, yeah, there's lots of uh, ways you can get in touch because we'd, de- we'd love to have your questions. So if you can't join us live in the chat room, then please do get your questions in. Uh, you can send them directly to our WhatsApp number here. It's uh, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. You can email us and that is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Or you can search for us on Facebook. Uh, either John or Carlos will put a post uh, sort of in a couple of days, really, and you can leave your comments or questions that you have uh, for for our guest Bob on the um, uh, in there, so that we can uh, we can share them with them. If not, you can uh, join us live, obviously, and you can put your questions directly to them via our chat. So the following week, which uh, will be the twenty first of uh, May, we have got uh, the. Uh, Mike Ling from the Blades Aerobatic Display Team. So excited about and, this. And uh, he is, so cool. uh, Mike Ling is Blade 3. And uh, also one of the things about uh, he, uh, Mike himself, he's actually one of the longest serving members of the Red Arrows. Oh, wow. Well. Cool. So he was a Red Arrow pilot. I don't know so if we'll Mike, be allowed to ask about that, will we? I don't uh, uh, well... <laughs> 
so mike uh, mike's going to be on the show on the 21st of uh, may yeah so, definitely uh, get that mike. one in your diary that's as i say again friday at seven o'clock uh, is when we do that and as i say uh, that's definitely one you'll want to be in the chat room for honestly uh, we're, we're pushing the boat out here for the guests absolutely honestly absolutely. You know, raising the bar i think on. is the word raising the bar for. yeah uh, anyway it's time to wrap so, up Yes, social media then. For those of you who don't already follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, search for us on uh, social media's Plain Talking UK. Don't forget that WhatsApp number Matt said earlier, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you want to get a picture, one of your pictures, aviation theme pictures on the green screen behind me, Matt or Nev, send your pictures in there. Or you can email them to the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. So also, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? You'll get notifications when we go live and help shape the conversation of the show by joining us here in the chat room. And uh, you can go over to www.youtube.com, search for Plain Talking UK, and uh, you can find all the bits on there on the show and all previous shows as well on our YouTube page. Don't forget as well our website, all the w's.plaintalkinguk.com. On there you'll find the links to uh, Amazon, where you can do your shopping through that link. Won't cost you a penny, and we get a small referral fee if you use that link. And also, don't forget as well the links on there to our shop, where you can treat yourselves to a PTUK gloriously soft cotton t-shirt with the pgk logo uh, embroidered on the front with print on the back and you can get yourself one of those t-shirts there by through the website and also if you drink coffee tea earl grey as we do here you can treat yourselves to a ptuk mug on that website as well just click on the links over there and uh, that's it really so uh, well it's been a fantastic show as always big thanks as always to nev big thanks uh, to as well to our producer john for doing all the background work and making things tick during the week while we're all busy working away so thank to you uh, thanks to you john and a big thanks as well as always to the legend that is matt smith who is in the ptuk studio so well done to you matt for being a legend as always this evening and before we go Tomorrow night, Saturday night, is the last kitchen disco I'm doing. So if you're not busy tomorrow night, shameless promo, I know, or shameless plug, I will be doing my final last kitchen disco tomorrow oh. night at 7 p.m. here in the UK. So your links, uh, I'll stick it on our Facebook page later. But uh, <laughs> Yes. Yes, unfortunately, yeah. if you are listening, you're to, listening the, to the which audio is released podcast, on the Sunday, it happened, so it's yeah. already a, a, a non-event because it's already been and gone. But, uh, so if you fancy yeah. tuning in, me Matt will be the voice in my ear, and uh, I shall be. It's where I get my own back again. We'll be bringing yeah. you a quiz and loads of tunes and requests and mm. shout outs. So that'll be awesome. But don't forget, next week, AIIB. Our uh, Bob will be joining us, a senior inspector, from there next week on the show. So that's it, guys and girls. Thanks to everyone for uh, joining us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Thank you to all of you. And a big thanks to everyone who downloads the show each week. And don't forget, if you do download the show uh, and you do download it through iTunes or one of the various podcast platforms, don't forget, if you've got five minutes, leave us a little review because we love a little review because me and Nev and Matt and Armando love reading the reviews on there as well. So. I thought we were going to finish early, but the, the way you're going, Carlos, we'll still be running at night. I know. 
So that's it then from me here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK studios. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, and we'll see you next Friday. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.